Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Rolling. Take one. Is it going to be alright? Well, hello and welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography, where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. We've got a family show for you today. It's just you and me, Vanya, against the world. <gasps> Yay. And we want to tell you how photography changes everything. Everything. But before that, we'll get to that. But before that, we also want to tell you about some projects we've got coming up and a camera mystery that we've solved. Mm. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, we're the Charlie Browniest, so it's time for another episode of Off Through a Lens. But before any of that, Vanya, what's up? How you doing? Merry Christmas? It's basically Christmas? Uh, I guess. How's it going? I guess. Merry Christmas. Things are, things are good. I, gosh, so many things have happened. Uh, I... I threw a high school party. <laughs> you you kind of did. It, it looked like it was something out of weird science, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. What was going on? Yeah, it definitely smelled like teen spirit Ooh, yeah. in my living room. It was pretty ripe, uh, <laughs> but nothing is broken, I don't think. Not yet, at least. I haven't found anything hiding anywhere, so that's good. No hearts? Um, nothing. Wow. So, well, I mean... I do have things that can break for sure, but nothing got broken. Everybody, it was kind of like not the typical high school party. Like it's, it was weird. I think you better explain what you mean by throwing a high school party okay. before people get out of the wrong idea. Yeah. Okay. So Marley's friends are respectful and nice. I don't know. It Maybe just because it was the first time, but I also invited like some family and also some of her friends parents as well because marley started a band about like two months ago uh they had a gig but it got canceled and so i decided you know what let's just throw a little deal here in the living room we'll just take all the living room furniture out and you guys can set up your your equipment here and you guys can play here that's awesome. We'll do it kind of, yeah, we'll kind of do it early. So it's not like, you know, I don't, I don't have to call the cops. You don't um, want to call the cops on your own party. That's really not cool. Well, I was planning like maybe to, if I had to, wow. <laughs> if things were out of control, I'd be like, oh gosh. Well, there, but, you knew there yeah. were going to be other parents there and kids are generally well behaved around their parents. Yeah, I think so. Like there was a couple kids that went to the bathroom together. I'm sure they were doing bad stuff, but. For the most part, everything was, was super mellow. Um, all the kids were great. Um, the house was packed with f just full of people, and it was basically perfect. Hmm. It my house feels replenished and alive again, and it feels wonderful. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah. So I, I did actually end up kind of taking advantage of the situation, and I I put a, like a rack of some vintage out and I ended up deciding that I was going to just go for it and offer some four by five plates, wet plate. So you're doing tin types for yes. people. You just, just 
handing them out willy nilly? Mm, not exactly. Okay. Like I need to make something. Sure. So I was like charging 20 bucks for a four by five okay. because this is all new to me sure, yeah. and I need the practice, but I also need to be able to afford to get more, um, equipment and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was fair. Whoever allowed me to take their souls, uh, I really appreciate. It was really, really fun, exciting. I just got this like giant Speedotron light. It's like a 4,800 watt per second light. It's it's the big boy. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. very, very, very big. I mean, you can if you're cold, I would just say like, oh, like just stand, stand underneath it. I'll warm you up really quick. Hold on. <laughs> it's amazing. So I am excited. I'm super stoked. I'm a little, I did share some of them on my close story. I might end up sharing a few. I think you should. They, they were really, well, it's really striking. Like, you know, most tin types are very striking, you know, and they're always really f- fun to look at it's a very different look than any other kind of emulsion absolutely it's 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 everything i want to do it when i do it i get so excited it's everything that i want to do it's the lens that i'm using on my camera is wonderful and just being able to use like the century i was using century number seven that's a that's the big camera yes one that's like on its own stand and with the stand yeah. too. And that's just fun. Like it's, it's just neat to no shutter. Just, I mean, I could pull the dark slide and say one, two, three and push the flash button and close it. Like I don't really need to even like cover the lens because yeah. there's just not enough light. So it's, it's wonderful. I'm having such a great time. There is still so much for me to learn as far as like technique goes. Um, I think that's why maybe I'm not sharing because I know that like they're not uh, my development needs to be worked on. And also like I need to practice good habits right away. I th- I would like to pick a developer and stick with it and know that developer perfectly and know exactly what I'm supposed to look for and not change it at all. So I'm trying to to do those things to kind of like make the process a little bit easier. Um, I, I do see where my mistakes were. Also, I didn't realize that the, um, the oyster like shell things on the side of the frame is from a dirty holder. So it's like little blemishes on the side of the frame. Yeah. So like if you open it and kind of let it air out and dry it, uh, between, plates you get less of that and that's makes sense because the first two plates i did were really nice oh yeah yeah. (laughs) and then the rest of them had a bunch of that but also i really like that look i like that kind of oyster weird frame it's kind of like do i i don't think i'm looking for a perfect plate i don't think i'm yeah ever gonna be looking for that in any of my work but I do want to get better and I, I'm excited. I'm excited to play with light. I'm excited to play with salts and silvers. And I just, I I hope I'm going to grow like one of those curly mustaches really soon. I'm super excited. I'm going to get one of those like, you know, weird apron thingies and move to Portland. It's going to be sick. You're going to just get lost in the crowd there. I know. So that, that's basically 
what I did. Oh, also, Marley put a tip jar out and she made t-shirts. She made 150 bucks, you guys. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? She did better I than did. you did. <laughs> she she did. She did. Amazing. And she's stoked because she has her snare needs to it's not hitting right. So she has like a a phone on it so it sounds better. Okay. So she's gonna get that fixed. They need a new vocal amp. And I think they're looking for a, a bass, like they want to buy a bass. So they're just going to buy a bass and hope. Oh, no, the singer's going to play, like, going to play it. Oh, wow. She's pulling a she's Lemmy. Gonna... Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's rad. So she's going to take lessons too. It's really exciting. It's like, I just want to be supportive of her. It's being her mom is kind of the most amazing thing ever. And, um, I don't know. I just, she's the fucking apple of my eye. I love her. And I'm so proud of her. And, uh, I'm going to get all like <laughs> gooey right now, but it's, it's so amazing yeah. to see her grow up. And I just keep looking forward to all the, all the fun stuff. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot of fun things. What's the name of her band? Hello, Vertigo. Perfect. It's at Hello Vertigo Band on Instagram. Okay. Yes. Give them a follow. It's yeah, they're really really cute. That's awesome. <laughs> so, Eric, what? What have you been up to? Tell me all the things that have been happening in Washington. Oh wow, in Washington, not a whole lot in Washington. Hmm. I guess I I really don't know what's going on in Washington. But what's going on with me is I, I'm. I probably mentioned it the last episode that I was a little like, oh, I want to do a zine. I gotta, I'm getting that, that zine itch again. Mm-hmm. And so the zitch. Let's not call it that, though. Okay, let's not. <laughs> so I'm gonna be putting out an issue of of in this land. I've been I kicked around that idea a little bit, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and then mm-hmm. I started thinking. I have a lot of photos of Oglala National Grassland and that area yeah, in, in Nebraska. And I've never really done much with them. They'll, they'll appear once in a while in a zine for whatever reason. And I'll post them on social media. But I have a lot. And I've gone every year for the past five years. It's like, well, that's a good amount of photos. I get maybe five to 10 photos from each year and and uh, see what happens, you know? Well, I started realizing that I've got a lot of photos and I've got a lot of black and white and a lot of color. So that combined with the idea that I don't, I no longer really enjoy in this land. It feels like a burden because I have it. So mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do nine issues and then quit. And so getting to that ninth issue has, has been a, a bit of um, like the sort of Damocles over my head, but in a much less dramatic way. <laughs> And so I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to just like crank them out, but I was really tired of doing them and I wanted to move on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do two issues of In This Land, seven and eight. One is one is going to be black and white. One is going to be color, both on Oglala. And they're going to kind of play off of each other and complement each other. Oh, I hope. I really hope. I'm. I still have to develop a bunch of photos from this past year from this past year. And while the, the, I think all of the roles are developed at this point, I've got random sheets that need to be developed from Oglala. Problem is they're in a box and I, I don't know. I know like 
which emulsion is which, but I don't know what's on that emulsion until I develop it. So hmm. it could be tomorrow that I'm finished, or it could be in a few weeks. Interesting. But it, I I did see the cover of it, though, you guys. You have seen one of the covers. You see the, yes. the double cover? No, but you showed me the first one, and I was like, oh, my God, yes. Like, you didn't even have to say anything. I was just like, yep, <laughs> that's the one. I'm really happy with the cover. It's, yeah, hopefully this will refresh you, too. I hope so. Maybe it was just, you took a little break. Yeah. But that area is so very you, and you have so much to pull from, so it's going to be it's gonna be a good one. Yeah, I'm really you. excited. I'm about excited this. too. I've got a, I've got a lot to put out. I still have the the third volume of the Ansco, uh, yeah, the expired Ansco film book to do, mm -hmm. and the fourth. I've I've shot both of those. Third is so like, you still have lots and lots of projects to do this winter. That's I, for I sure. I do, and I was a little bummed. I don't want to be like I don't want to be that guy, but the the last issue I did of expired, the last volume of the Ansco thing, it didn't didn't really take nobody really seemed to notice it dude it was really good what are you it. talking about i liked it it was great it didn't you know i didn't sell i didn't sell many and so I'm, i always you get a little gun shy like maybe the next one's gonna be even worse and the one after that like no one's even gonna notice it but just make smaller batches oh well, that was small i just didn't, I just just didn't sell small <laughs> just small batch i'll do i'll do 10 copies next time it's very Portland of me. Just do small, small batch. Oh, small batch. Yeah, small batch scene. So, and then for the final issue of In This Land, I think a good final issue will be Cemeteries. Yes. I uh, will have to shoot some more because I don't want to just like rehash the same pictures and all of that. And so after the In This Land series is finished, if for those who are following along, the back photo will be completed. Finally. Garbage pail kids style. It's, yeah, the old, like the old trading cards. It, I was just going to mention that, but I was waiting for YouTube. I just wanted to make sure that it was still, yeah. it was still on. And if you haven't gotten any of the issues yet, issue one is sold out. Issue two has a few copies left and there are multiple, there are, there are a lot of the other ones. Hmm. So no, no worries there. But when those are all completed, when everything is done. I will be focusing mostly on books, like what the fancy people call monographs, but I will still be doing random zines, maybe one-off small things. And I will, I will denote the difference between books and zines as books in my case, but maybe not in yours, will be perfect bound, meaning they have a spine, like you can read words on the spine. Spines and spineless. And the zines will be saddle stitch with the staples. That mm -hmm. may not, that definition may not work for you, but it doesn't. I don't. Every time I hear saddle stitch, well, of course, I think of an actual stitch, but then I think of like little tiny like saddles on on it, which would be kind of adorable. And I'm, I'm actually a little confused that no one has done that yet. It, <laughs> and maybe that's what I need to do: make little tiny saddles on the spine. <laughs> it does. It does sound like a good idea. It's so cute. It would be very cute. It would be very, very cute. But that's my plan going forward. So kind of a regrouping on the zine front. And I do still have some other yeah. pro projects I have to do, including a collaboration. And I'm really excited about that, though I've done nothing with it in months and I feel horrible. So let's do some housekeeping with podcast stuff. The last episode that we did was the one on Margaret Dunmather and Edward Weston. That was- Oh, yes. A, we've gotten more 
replies and more and more uh, I guess comments and 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 messages, emails, all of that than any other episode before, which is really fun. We got more compliments on that one than any of the other ones. And that's, that makes me feel really good. It makes me feel. Yeah, feel, it should yeah. also hate to disappoint you guys, but we don't have a big piece like that for this, <laughs> this week. No, I'm tired. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of work, but it was just beautifully well-written. And honestly, the third time we ran through it, you almost didn't cry. Oh, so that, yeah. I think it was good. <laughs> so it put the, as far as like the, the first week of, of downloads, it's in the top five episodes. No yeah, way. Yeah, that's really impressive. Out of all of our episodes? All of our episodes. Yeah, all 75 wow. of them. It's it's in the top five. And I think it'll it'll remain there. It's It's a good one. What's our worst episode? <laughs> I'm very confused. Oh, I don't know. I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's probably like a dev party. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't I don't count the dev parties in these things. Oh, okay. So they're main episodes. It's just main hmm. episodes. Yeah, I don't count the dev parties. They do get almost as many listens. Like the one um peek behind the curtain. We just released one today. That's when we're recording. We're recording on a Tuesday. Oui. That has a, um about seventy five percent of the downloads of a regular episode. Oh, wow. That's actually really yeah. good. So people are, for some reason, enjoying that. Or at least listening nice. to it. And maybe they're hate listening to it. We also have a new logo. We've been <gasps> we kicking do. around a new logo idea all this season. And we finally settled on a new logo for like the, the podcast feed. It's not new. It's, it's, it's new. just updated. Well, it's, yes, it's, it's new. It's a new logo. There's new fonts and a new square thing around it the photo has been changed slightly it's, it's the same photo it's we have if we're getting i will say that the only way we're going to change that photo is if we go to the parkside in san francisco or at least some place that has a photo booth to get a new picture fair enough so we have uh, new stickers and new postcards on the way. And the way to get those would be to order something from me. And I will send stickers and postcards. We don't have them yet. But by the time this airs, we'll have maybe the postcards. And the stickers will come in about a month. So by the time we're back from break, all of that will be here. In our housekeeping, the last thing we need to tell you is about the break. And we were taking a small break, which you should know by now. Uh, the main episodes will stop. This is the last one for a month, maybe? About a month, mm -hmm. give or take. Yeah, we're like basically on school schedule. Kind of, yeah, we are. And so it's a shorter winter break. Mm -hmm. And we'll be back uh, end of January-ish. So we'll have dev parties interspersed there. And if you're on Patreon, we will have a lot of extras. So actually you will have a lot of extras. We'll probably get to at the end of the episode. We'll tell you about yes. what Vanya I'll will tell be up you to. All the things that are happening in January. Okay. So this is a weird episode. There's no guest and there's mm -hmm. no main big feature, but let's start it anyway. Each episode, we put on our house slippers and cozy cardigans and possibly jackets because it's freezing right now. Check our answering machine. We ask listeners to call in and leave us a message answering whatever weird-ass question we come up with. And 
the question this past week was... It was the first time we tried this, and we probably won't try this again. (laughs) (laughs) It was, um, tell us what you've learned from the collaboration and relationship between Margaretha Mather and Edward Weston. The same thing we talked about in the last episode. We didn't have a ton of responses. People don't like homework. And I think it was viewed maybe as a little bit of homework. And also- It was very pop quiz-ish. It required a little introspection. And people might not want that now or ever. So push the button, I guess. Alrighty. Push the Christmas button. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Duophone telephone answering machines are the perfect answer for that special Christmas gift. Radio Shack has the gift that won't miss a call. (laughs) Don't wait up, dear. We'll be back very late. (laughs) Hi, guys. Michael here. So at first, I just want to say that I continue being surprised what an amazing stories you guys are able to find, and I hope you're never going to run out. I've actually just re-listened to uh, the previous episodes to remind myself what was going on. And... We often say that artistic process is messy, and I think in their case, I'm not so sure about the process, but their life was very, very complicated. And despite that, or maybe because of it, they were able to create some amazing work, setting new standards for the entire photography community. And on that note, it's also the first uh, time I've realized how old analog community really is. So, my takeaways here. Thanks, guys. Well, I, starting at the at the end there, yeah, the film community is really old. Very. I don't think you could really call it a film community until probably until the pictorialists, until you know the early nineteen hundreds. I could see that, and especially with like the the Kodak girls and everybody shooting the. the the, the smaller the box the box cameras and things like that. I think that's when the film community started. I don't think it mm-hmm. really was something before then. There were photographers, lots and lots of photographers. When it was more accessible to the masses, I would say, there was more of a community. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. As far as Mather and Weston, their lives were incredibly messy. Mm-hmm. And love is messy. Love is messy and lust is messy. <laughs> it, it is. And just art is messy. And combining all of those things is, I guess, a good idea. Everybody can be each other's muse in a way. Mm -hmm. It really reminded me of the friends I had in college, in the college days. You know, there were a lot of people, essentially, there were a lot of people having sex with a lot of people. (laughs) Sometimes the same people, sometimes different people. And they all were poets and and in bands and and um, various artists of different kinds. And so it reminded me a lot of that. You know, we had a, a sort of bohemia going on in um, various places. So it was it was a lot like that. And so I felt very at home in a lot of ways with them. Uh, I know that when I went into it, I had a very negative feeling towards Weston, and I think. That didn't change. <laughs> I still don't think I would appreciate the guy, but also I think I was able to relate him to somebody I knew and liked. And so I was like, okay, I, I could see there being like positive qualities about him. And I understand that he made some 
bad life decisions early on that he shouldn't have made and then continued making bad life decisions from there on out. He had a bad foundation. I'm just obsessed with the 20s and anything the 20s. I don't, obviously there was a lot of hardship for most people uh, in the 20s, but it's just such a wild time to be alive as a woman. And this new sense of slight more, like slightly more freedom, I would say, than than normal. Um, It was just insane. And so like hearing this woman's life and how she lived it, and it's definitely sounds like you know, risque, but it's, it's also super like liberating and exciting. And she was, she was doing it without people before her doing it. She was just it. Yeah. These are pioneers in a lot of ways. Kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, we definitely embrace all the, we're very (laughs) pioneering on our photographer, uh, journeys yeah. here so we we really do love love them and um yeah it's just it must it must have been such a wild time to live and to be and just the whole scene like with the anarchists and everything it's it's super punk rock um, it was very punk rock yeah i love it it's it was great yeah it, it was a really really fun story and it definitely makes me wish I could close my eyes and be able to be in, you know, in that scene or just be in her carriage house for one day. (laughs) Well, let's do the next. I'm probably a little late here, but I really enjoyed the episode. And it reminded me of something I like to say, that it's important not to confuse the artist with the art. But this situation sort of turns it on its head a little bit because the subject of the art might be the real artist. But anyway, it, it, it also reminds me about what we think of authorship sometimes being an illusion and how being part of a time and a place and a group of friends and uh, sort of an energy nexus is, uh, think of Emerson, think of several other groups of artists that come together and make individual works, but couldn't quite do it without the group energy they bring together. Just reminds me to keep trying to network. That's true. They reminded me a little bit of the beats in a way, the beat poets, mm-hmm. um, where they were, they were all, all of them were writing and, you know, and sometimes they needed each other, not really in a collaboration, but you know, you wrote about each other, you know, like even like Howl was for Carl Solomon and, and, a lot of it was written about, you know, um, Nick Neil Cassidy, the secret hero of these poems. So you had all of that with them too. And and the same goes for like, like the, um, transcendentalists like Emerson and Thoreau and, and uh, the, the other transcendentalists, I guess. And so you, you do find these little communities of, of artists, uh, sprouting up in a lot of different places, especially back then when they when artists were really considered outcasts before they were um, kind of enshrined as untouchable, untouchable, or, but also puppets for the wealthy. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I mean, it definitely has changed over the years yeah. for sure. But I, I would say that most so 
and it's weird to like call yourself an artist. I'm not going to say I'm an artist, but I would say that the people that are close to me are my muses always. Sure. The people that I care about, the people that care about me. Um, it's really important to be surrounded by people that are supportive of you as much as you are supportive of them and can be honest, yeah. brutally honest sometimes. And, but in, in, you could do it in a way where it's not terrible. I remember when I first went to college, I wanted to do costume design. Mm -hmm. And so that means you have to take like fashion design classes and draping and all that stuff, which I absolutely loved. But the teacher was very quick to say like, this is an intense program and there's, you know, you, you don't have friends here. And it was like, it's a very cutthroat type of, um, industry. And that threw me, I was just like, Oh, I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That sounds awful. And it did throw me off a little because I don't, I don't think, I, I think there's some honesty in that, but also there are some really great people that are doing the same thing that I'm doing. And I just want to, I just want to see them succeed. Yeah. That's what, that's what I liked about. Well, that's what I like about the photo scene. That's what I liked about the punk scene was that like the Bohemians in, in LA in the twenties, the, the artists were largely the audience, Yes, but also the audience were encouraged to be artists there that line mm -hmm. between that line between the artists and the viewers or whatever was very gray and often non-existent and like in the punk scene where the band starts and the audience starts is we have a nice like floor show or something it's very gray and very fuzzy and i mm -hmm. like that where there's there's no divide in in a very literal sense too. There's no dividers and there's no security and there's you know nothing like that. And so everybody is on the mm -hmm. same level. And I I love that. That's what that's what I would like to see more of, always, constantly, mm -hmm. but more of in the photography scene is that that kind of encouragement. And I think we I think there's a lot of it here. I do. And honestly, just seeing being being an old lady and having a daughter who is that new, that, that darn old new generation, it, it's, it's kind of exciting to see how inclusive they are, how supportive they are of each other. I mean, of course, they're like, they're, there's all different types of people, but it's, it's pretty amazing to really just watch her and her friends and how they collaborate and how they kind of put this, this together. And it's, I think it's there. I yeah. think we just need to nurture it and support the people that are doing those things. Um, whatever, in, in whichever way we can. Like my friend Alan, he's just fantastic. He has a, I think, an open house coming up this weekend and I'm really excited to go see him. He just got like a new space and yeah, like I'm just, I'm so stoked for him. I just want to, I just want to be there and see the light in his eyes. Like, he's like, I'm so happy. I'm painting like a couple times a week. It's just like, yes. 
I love that. Well, speaking of Alan. <gasps> Did he call? Hey, it's Alan of Alan being Alan. Uh, so what I learned is that their relationship was not too much different from most relationships, probably. Unfortunately, as someone who is just getting out of a relationship with another visual artist, it, it's intense. There's a lot to be learned. It's complicated. There's a lot of creative relationships. I mean, you could look at Lee Miller and Man Ray or uh, John and Yoko or well, any of them. And you would find, you know, complicated systems of support and jealousy maybe or hurt feelings. And at the end of the day, you know, like the thing about relationships, especially creative ones, is that the end of a relationship is just as important as every other part. It has to be, uh, has to be handled right. So anyway, thanks guys. Well, he spoke of Lee Miller and Man Ray, and that brings up a, another point is that we, we often focus on the female photographers. And by doing that, we, we also cover some of the male photographers like Edward Weston. Now we, we didn't give you a, a biography of Edward Weston because he wasn't our focus, but we did learn a little bit about him. And his story wasn't concluded. And it, it may never be with us unless we, well, maybe we'll do Tina Madati at some point and we'll continue his story a little bit. <laughs> but he, he, to me, is an incredibly important person in photography. But of course. I think what's more important is the people that we've forgotten because we were remembering Edward Weston and the work they mm -hmm. did and why we forgot them, which is pretty simple. They're women. So that's, that's why we forgot them. <laughs> And so I think we'll probably do the same thing for Man Ray because he's a very important photographer and we should cover mm -hmm. him at some point. Absolutely. But I feel Lee Miller is more interesting and more important. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how we're going to cover her sprawling, amazing life. Maybe I know. It's, it's... Maybe you need an entire, we need an entire month off to <laughs> research. Oh, oh, good. I was hoping to get a month <laughs> off, but I guess not. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, Alan. I I haven't heard from Alan actually this week. I should probably call him, but yeah, we've been kind of buddies lately. We're both going through our our breakups. So I love you, Alan. I'll see you soon. Hugs and kisses. Well, that was all of the uh, messages. Thank you, all three of you, for calling in. It was really neat. We got some Dude. some old, some new, and oh, like Robert's been here since the beginning. I know. Michael is. We got your zine, by the way, Robert. Thank you so much. It's that. fucking amazing. I can't wait. We're going to have to wait till, till after yeah. the break to review it, unfortunately. I'm kind of bummed. There's a line. We have a stack of zines now. <laughs> but it's really nice. It's nice to have these people calling in. I was, well, we didn't get very many. And I was a little nervous that we wouldn't get any. And so I'm glad I was wrong about that. You're always wrong about that. You say that every single time. He's, you guys, he says it every single time we're not going to get any messages we haven't gotten any messages yet like it's so stressful and i'm just like eric we're gonna get some honestly if we didn't get any i would like just make seven different instagram accounts and pretend i was somebody else you guys all would know it was me but it would be funny at least it's a it's a long walk for a for a bad joke you know what i like long walks okay, fair enough off so short piers we're not going to have a question 
for the for no over the questions. break. We may mm-hmm. we may announce one on social media before we start. Yeah. Probably something like that. We don't know. But one thing I want to do, and I don't know if I even talked to you about this, Vanya. Uh oh. So I don't want to be a dick about this. Oh boy, here we go. That's never a good sign. There's a lot of really wonderful photographs of photographers. Portraits mm-hmm. taken by other photographers. Like when they're holding oh. their cameras and all that. They do kind of seem to have a very samey look lately. Okay. Like they're all essentially the same In the photo. mirror. No, I'm not talking about people taking pictures of themselves. I'm talking about a photographer taking a picture of another photographer with that photographer holding their camera. Okay. And they, they do tend to end up looking very samey. Maybe it's the overuse of certain lenses or maybe it's just lack of imagination or lack of inspiration even, or just like, hey, we want to just get this out here and just want to take a, take a quick snapshot. Maybe it's something like that. Nothing wrong with them. They're all good. It's just that they're not all interesting. And I think what would be interesting would be for you listeners to grab a photographer friend and each of you take a portrait of each other but have it not look the same as every other portrait. Do something interesting. Have the camera involved, mm-hmm. but do something interesting. This isn't like a photo portrait challenge, but kind of kind of like a photographer portrait challenge, but it kind of is. Yeah. There's no deadline. There's no contest for fuck's sake. It's just, hey, let's do something a little different here. Okay, I really like it. Um, I think it's a good idea just because get out, get out there, Go go hang out with somebody, talk yeah. nerd photo stuff, and take some portraits. Yeah, it sounds amazing. When you were talking about this, I was reminded of the photo uh, photo that Anne took of us. It's not a portrait, but it's us in the same scene. You with your four by five, and I think I was holding possibly the RB six seven. It was the RB. I remember that. We're in Kansas. I was wearing those like super cozy like linen overalls because I have to wear overalls every single day, even if it's like 110 degrees. It's true. And I've taken portraits of you shooting and, you know, with your camera. Have and all you? Of that. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember. There was one at Pawnee Buttes. With my pacemaker? I think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, you know, we've done, it doesn't have to be like a photo of somebody photographing. Just, you know, a portrait with a person standing there with their camera, but do something different. If you want to know what not to do, well, I mean, look at any look at any photography book and you look at the the professional picture taken in the back, you know, of the here's the photographer and his camera. Look at that. And that's great for a book or for something, you know, professional or something like that. But for this, maybe something a little different, something a little less than professional, something a little interesting. It honestly, the the portraits that I'm reminded of right now is the super rad woman group of wet plate photographers that go hang out in the woods together. That was my inspiration for this question. Megan, Carson, and Vanessa. Oh, sure. I'm really sad that I'm not on the East Coast just this one time in my life. (laughs) So yeah, take inspiration from them and also inspiration from whatever the fuck you want to do. And do that. Yeah. And then- I, I love it. I think it's a great idea. Thank you. And then send them to us somehow. Again, no deadline, but we'll bring it up again, probably the next dev party, if we remember. But we will, yes. we will post about it. You know, I'd like you to do one, Vanya, and I'm going to try to do one with a photographer. 
Yeah, I absolutely. I guess I know a couple of you them. You know here. plenty. I know like five in your area. Okay, but that would mean leaving the I house. I will send them over. Yeah, maybe I could, yeah, I'll invite them over. <laughs> it would be so yeah, much Yeah, just have them come over. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I'm not a very, I don't shoot people. So I'm not a very creative person when it comes to photographing people. But I don't necessarily feel that that's completely correct. Well, I, I think don't. that maybe you're nervous about it, but sure. one of another one, it's it's not a portrait of me with a camera, but it's me with my surfboard on top of my head in Crescent City. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. I look kind of amazing in this picture. Well, thank you. <laughs> and that never happens. I don't like pictures of myself. So I took a, a few nice um, ones of you at Crescent you City. You did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. I had my happy face on too. I was very, very much in my place. You were. So, yes, give that a shot over break because you don't have enough things to do over Christmas. Uh, yeah, that gets you away from your family for a minute, it you know? And hey, you know, if you've got a new camera for Christmas, if you're one of those oh lucky people, show it off. Yeah. No oh, my God. Even if you bought it for yourself, actually, especially if you bought it for yourself, if you gave Hell yourself yeah. like a little Christmas present and it's a camera, fucking show us. not doing like a main feature where we talk for 45 minutes about some photographers and since we're not we don't have a, an interview i would like to talk to you a little bit about a mystery that i uncovered and i think i've solved it in a sort of sort of way so i wrote a little bit about it because it's hard for me to not be scripted <laughs> the magazine arizona highways has been regularly published for nearly 100 years It's run by the Arizona Department of Transportation and features stories and history from the Grand Canyon State, as well as a lot of photography. Though it is still in circulation, it's the older issues through the 1950s and 60s that are Eric's favorites. The layout and font choices are peak mid-century. The second issue of All Through a Lensing, which he published before we even started this podcast and I was like, that's the name. Sorry, we're stealing it. (laughs) Was kind of a tribute actually to the era's design. So each of the issues was very much focused on photography. There were not only like full color photos throughout it, but their captions told us the emulsion and the aperture and the shutter speed. And like what non-photography magazine does that? I don't, I don't think I've ever seen one. So this was mm-hmm. very pho- photographer, not just photography, but photographer oriented. And there are other articles about various photographers like Ansel Adams and Joseph Mensch and Esther Henderson, all of whom, well, I mean, you know, Ansel Adams, but there are a lot of them that you wouldn't know otherwise. So I've got a few dozen issues from this era and I'm always on the lookout for more, but it's the June 1956 issue that I want to talk about today. And that's where the mystery comes from. This issue features the photography of Louis Azariga. He's a photographer from the Philippines who moved to the States in 1914. And so the work of Azariga presents us with two mysteries to solve. And and Arizona Highways presents them in their first paragraph. And I will read from the magazine. When Louis Azariga fits his camerama to its tripod, cranks it 18 feet aloft, and reaches for a flashlight switch, you may be sure that the picture he is about to snap will take in a lot more left-to-right coverage than could be captured by any other camera focused from the same spot. 
The extraordinary lateral range of the Camarama, it's 160 degrees, is greater than the human field of vision and almost twice the sweep of other wide-angle lens cameras. His panoramic views, currently appearing in the New York Herald Tribune, holder of exclusive newspaper and magazine rights to them, are spread dramatically across two pages and require two page-wide photo engraving plates for the reproduction. Despite the vast area they cover, they are sharp and clear and entirely free from wide-angle distortion. With its high-speed shutter action, the Camarama can catch a racehorse with all four feet off the ground and at the same time encompass the entire racetrack. In a close-up shot of, a, of the liner the United States sailing out of the New York Harbor, Osorica got in well-defined detail not only of the vessel itself, but of six miles of Manhattan skyline as well. So the first mystery is the tripod he used to get the height. While tripods with an 18-foot extended center column couldn't be picked up at any Sears or Montgomery Ward, they were fairly available. And still are. He didn't have to do much beyond buying one to get the height. Focusing and taking the shot were another thing. But I'm sure Eric will get to that in a minute. At least the focusing. Okay. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So he wouldn't focus. He, I think he had it set to infinity. So there ah, we go. That, was that makes sense. Yeah. So, but. So he was part of the F64 crew, I guess. Well, I, I don't think he was F. We had, it was obviously F something, but it was, yes. I think he it didn't, I don't think if we had an aperture either, other than the, the name oh. of the lens. I don't know that. Another mystery that's not going to be solved. But the second <laughs> mystery that we will solve, hopefully, and the big one, is the one that Azaraga wanted to keep secret. And he officially Ooh. took that secret to his grave. Ooh, love it. His field of view is 160 degrees. And that's as wide as a fisheye lens, but there's no distortion, which doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. That does not make sense. It's even wider than a wide lux. And those are the cameras that have the rotating lenses, right? Which is claimed at 140 degrees, but is actually yes. a little less. And I think what the new ones are called the Horizon. Is that right? Yes. So, how did he achieve this this wide field of view? Uh, he wouldn't say, but he gave hints. In the Arizona Highways magazine, all he'd say that the lens was fixed focus and slow, even though the magazine also called it fast. So. I think he's also using a little bit of subterfuge here. According to the magazine, he guards his secret carefully. He allows no one to get near, much less peer into the outsized aluminum box in which his invention is housed. It is not patented. Azaraga takes a dim view of the patent procedure. So reading this, we get two clues. The second, unfortunately, undoing the first. This is not a normal camera. He apparently invented it. Typically, what we could do then is go to like Google Patents or whatever it is and look up his name and find a patent on it and then figure it out. But yeah. he didn't patent it, so we can't do that. Interesting. Yes. So this leaves more questions. First, was he lying? <laughs> was this just a Graflex that he somehow like slapped a huge fucking lens on that would some big Bertha style? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? And he could achieve the the panoramic look with that, or was he lying about not patenting it? Hmm. Could you easily look up patents back then? No. 
Like, <laughs> no, it wasn't something that you could look, look up in the fifties. Like on, you couldn't Google it for sure. You could yeah, it was, definitely not Google. It was public information, but it wasn't so easy okay. to find. Gotcha. So the rest of the article talks about his life and then a few of his other inventions. The Camerama, which is the name of the camera, uh, came about while he was trying to invent a widescreen motion picture camera, which doesn't really give us any clues at all. He called it a widescreen motion picture camera. That was Those were his words. And so that doesn't help at all because they did have, by the 50s, they did have very widescreen movies. Some of them were shot with three cameras, like How the West was one. Mm-hmm. But some of them weren't. Some of them were, were not as wide as Cinerama, which I think is where he derived his name from, the Camerama, which also comes from Panorama, so it could have been that as well. So with the magazine being used up, I, I couldn't find any more information there from the magazine, we turned to old newspapers. And we don't have access to everything, but Azarago was a- But almost everything. <laughs> very close. He was a regular contributor to the New York Herald, which I don't think we have access to. Oh, weird. Yeah, I know. I wish we did, because the New York Herald was kind of fun. But a quick search brings up his name a number of other times in other papers. And these articles were running around the same time as the Arizona Highways article. In an April 1955 edition of the Des Moines Tribune, under a photo of the New York skyline, we learn that his negatives are around four by 10. And this tells us that he was probably using eight by 10 sheets, either cutting them down or cropping it after the fact, which if he's using eight by 10, it means it's an eight by 10 camera at least. Right. And that could lead to less distortion that wider field of, of view. Yeah, maybe like making a mask, I guess. Something, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Or even just like cutting it down after. You know, we, we don't, nobody mm. knows what was going on. Is darker. Nobody knows. You know, was he using, one thing that I was thinking of, was he using an anamorphic lens of some kind? They existed then. You know, was he shooting like a squished picture and would unsquish it in the dark room? Mm. You know, that's possible. That was one of the things I was thinking. Maybe, maybe, but I don't think so. And I'll explain why. In August of that same year, which is 1955, the Minneapolis Star sent a reporter to tag along with Azarga while he shot his Camerama. And now I'm going to read a little bit of that article. Lewis puts the bread box. Now they called this the bread box. I don't know who came up with that, if it was the press or if it was Azarga, but it, they call it the bread box because it was a, a big box. Makes sense. Lewis puts the bread box on his tripod. This is no ordinary tripod. It has a small crank and a gear mechanism that can shoot up shoot up a vertical extension 15 feet skyward. As Louis cranks, Louis cranks, Camerama goes overhead. Azarga is not a very tall man. 15 feet up looks awfully high alongside Louis. From the right-hand side of the bread box, and this is the important part. From the right-hand side of the bread box, a white thread flutters in the breeze. From the left-hand side, a rubber-coated wire comes down to a point alongside a tripod. It doesn't look like it's connected to anything, but it is. Okay, says Lewis, all set. Unexpectedly, Lewis pulls the white thread. A metal door hinged at the bottom drops down. Lewis touches a switch on a flashlight case bolted to the side of the tripod. There's a quick click. Not a loud, not not loud, not a purring noise of a motor, just a click. Lewis lets loose of the white thread. The bread box door snaps up. He turns the crank, and the camerama comes back to earth. 
Got it, says Azariga. But this isn't all. Lewis removes a bread box from the tripod and places it flat on the ground. Then he bends over and opens a door. Inside there appears to be a black bag. It may have elastic around the top. Lewis thrusts both of his hands inside. Sometimes he reaches inside almost to his elbows. He may fumble around inside as long as two or three minutes. As the time lengthens, he occasionally turns around. His expression is like that of a small boy caught with his hands in the cookie jar. Finally, he emerges, but there's nothing in his hand. The film is still in the bread box. Camarama has a built-in darkroom. Okay, so there's a lot there. First, no, he probably does not have a built-in darkroom. <laughs> that would be silly. Um, he's probably just changing film. And since it's like eight by 10 film, it's probably not easy to change in, the, in a dark bag. So mechanically speaking, there's two things going on here. First, the string. And it seems to open a door to allow the camera to see out. Mm-hmm. Cannot figure out why he just doesn't open the door before raising the camera but maybe it's part of the mystery. He does seem to be very dramatic and into performance. Very much. Second, there's something electrical going on. Yeah. Flicking a switch makes a clicking noise and that's it. And this clicking noise Hmm. will be key because my first thought was it's a motorized lens that that moves from side to side. And you would hear that motor. It would be be purring like the, the reporter from the Minneapolis paper said. So those are all the newspapers I could find. I decided to look up his name on the database of US patents. So he claims to not have patented the Camerama because he didn't like the process. And that led me to believe that he's familiar with the process. Yeah, if you don't like something, usually it's because you've experienced it. Yes, and he sure did. There are plenty. His earliest is from 1927, and it is, it's a very silly looking aerial advertising device. And it's basically a hot air balloon with a circular billboard hanging down from it, like the circle is facing the ground. Hmm. And he patented a light to shine below it. So the light would hold a tether that would hold the balloon and the circular billboard and the light would shine on the billboard. It's it's kind of ingenious, but also kind of dumb and useless. In 1930, he began patenting a number of different cameras and camera improvements. His first was a handle of some kind to allow the handheld use and easy focusing of a large format box camera. Like hmm. the, like what were they called? Like the Graflex Auto at that time. And like the, the, the yes. predecessor to the Super Ds and all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that was even necessary, but that's what he did. So if you ever used one and thought like, you know what this needs? It needs a handle. He, he yeah, was the guy for you. So over the next couple of years, he patented a few improvements to both still and motion picture cameras, but that was it. He was seemingly finished with this whole patent business in the 1930s. That is until 1957, two years after saying he didn't like the patent process. And this was for what he called the curved film camera. Ooh, oh, okay. And it was based upon three previous cameras invented by Walter J. McInnes. And I can't find any information on this guy. I didn't do a deep dive into his patents, but he apparently invented a curved film camera. So, okay, in this filing, Azarga mentions a previous filing that he abandoned, meaning he abandoned the filing. So there is no official filing for it. This was, he said, a continuation in part of that. And while he doesn't come right out and say it, this was probably the patent 
for the first iteration of the camera with a rotating lens and curved film back, meaning the lens would rotate somehow. We'll get to that in a second. And the film was curved, thus giving, mm -hmm. I guess, a wider view. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how the... Um, how the wide lux works, but is, the, is yeah. the film curved in the wide lux? Is yes, it, it is. Okay. So mm -hmm. a rotary camera like this one, like the wide lux, where the lens itself scans the scene from left to right, it exposes a sliver of the film at the time. It is literally like scanning the scene. Oh, that's neat. It doesn't take the entire photo all at once. It takes it from left to right or right to left or whatever. Not very dramatically, but I think that's our answer. The Camerama is not the camera he patented in 1957, but it's the one he abandoned. And it was still a yeah. camera with a rotating lens. But mm -hmm. these weren't unknown at the time. They existed in the 1910s and 20s, I think. They were kind of novelties. And by the 50s, they were sort of old hat, sort of like stereoscopes or stereo cameras. Which is so weird to me, because it just seems so... I mean, I I am fascinated with the wide lux. Oh, yeah. It is the coolest camera. It is sturdy and beautiful. It's kind of a pain in the ass load. Um, you kind of have to, like, not have your hands in the front of it because of the lens. You'll get your little, like, fingers in the shot, so you kind of have to shoot with, like, it, like... Um, like behind your, like, with your hands behind the camera? Yeah, oh, it's it is, but it is the coolest. I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird that that didn't stick. It is, yeah. So when it comes to the mechanics of the whole thing, I, I don't know how he did it. Um, most of the photos are without action, so it could have been a very slow rotation, which would explain why it was so quiet. Mm. But there are apparently photos of like a horse race finishing where all the horse's feet are up in the air. So it had to be incredibly fast to capture that, like mm. 200th of a second or, or more, probably At least, more. Yeah. And so somehow I think it's possible he figured out how to do this. And mm. when the reporter said that he heard no, no motor, but there was still an electrical switch, that leads me to think that maybe it was a magnetic release of some kind that sent the rotating lens flicking very quickly from one end to the other. And he does talk about how film speeds are much faster now, and he can capture things like that, and he can compensate for that. I, even, though, even though he was shooting color almost constantly, so those were a lot slower, but still, he was somehow able to do it. Maybe the lens was very big. We don't know what any of these things were. We don't know the aperture or the focal, or the, uh, the focal length or anything like that. So I think it's sort of solved-ish. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be at least. Yeah. And I mean, you might have to dig up his body. Well, he probably buried <laughs> the kidding. camera with it. There's there's nothing about this guy. I, I couldn't even find an obituary, but a quick search on eBay, it shows a bunch of his postcards and they're mostly oh, cool. from hotels and hotels and tourist things, which which is, you know, he's a working photographer. That's great. You know? Yeah. You can also right now, which it'll probably be gone by the time this airs, but right now you can find a canceled check from the El Rancho Hotel in Las Vegas, written out to Louis Azariga. And it has like his signature on the back and it's $30 and it's so tempting to buy it. I don't know why. Oh my gosh, I don't know why. that's so funny. There are some of his postcards up there and they're all panoramic and they're all full color. And it's not just Arizona, it's all over the place. It's Miami, it's a lot of Florida. I think he lived in Florida at some point and it's Vermont and there's California. He got around. So mystery solved basically. Here's to you, Louis Azarga, you wonderful, odd little inventor. 
thank you for the mystery. And I, I guess the inspiration, I would kind of like to try this sometime, though I don't know how. But if you or anybody out there wants to get an 18-foot tripod, they are readily available. You can buy them uh, pretty, pretty easily. And I would suggest, you know, why the hell not? If you're focusing yeah. at infinity anyway, why not do it from 18 feet up? Do it, do it. So like we said in the beginning of this episode, photography changes everything. A lot of podcasts will have like long form discussions and that's great for them. We rarely do that. And maybe you'll find out why. <laughs> Honestly, I like our banter. I think we do just fine, but I do, I do like to read as well. I stole this idea from a hiker named Dixie. She's on YouTube and, and she's one of the through hikers that I think we both watched independently of each yeah. other and then realized, oh, we're both watching the same through hiker. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like there, I was obsessed with it. PCT. Uh, I still am. She's incredibly helpful, incredibly kind, gives good advice. It's just a very well-rounded person, I, I feel. At least the persona that she presents on YouTube is that. Absolutely. And so she had a, a video called Hiking Changes Everything. And she went through a bunch of things on how hiking has completely changed her life. And I got to thinking, well, that could be applied to basically anything you do. And probably if you don't have something that's changed everything, you must have an amazing life or you need that thing to change everything. And I think for me, it's photography. I think it's been other things too, punk rock being one of them. But I think photography, at least in the more recent years of my life, the recent decade or so, it has changed everything. And Absolutely. so Vanya and I have talked about this a little bit before, you know, before recording and came up with some of the ways in which photography has changed everything. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people could probably relate to most, if not all of these things in one way or another. I think so. And some of them are practical and some of them are more ethereal, I guess. Possibly. I also think Possibly. it's important to maybe not a lot of people have really thought of it in this way. And I think it's kind of important to think of it in, in this way. Well, is it changing everything? Yeah, because yeah. it, it's not something that like you say like, oh, yeah, photography has changed everything in my life. But, you know, wh whether it's true or not, it's just something you don't really necessarily are mindful of, I guess, or say out loud. I'll hear people sometimes say like photography ruined my life or, you know, a joking or something like that. And I don't. Yeah. Or life ruined my surfing. <laughs> or that. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that's that it's meant to be funny. And that's fine. It's funny. Haha. -ha, we're all laughing now. But I think photography changing everything is a little bit different than that. I think so. I think well, so. I mean, it depends on how deep you want to go. So let's let's dive in. Well, let's dive in. I think the first thing I came up with, I, and I uh, I stole this from Dixie as well, is delayed gratification. Now, with hiking, that means you you're walking everywhere, or mm -hmm. it's a real struggle to get into town to buy food or whatever you have to hitch or something, and so yeah. your delayed gratification comes from from like a physical <laughs> impossibility. But our delayed gratification comes from, as film photographers, more than digital photographers, I feel, in a, in a number of different ways. The biggest and most obvious being we gotta wait for film, even if we're taking it home and developing it ourselves. There is still that, that did I get the shot feeling? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's- You never know. That's almost <laughs> every shot. You're like, did I get that? But I better, I better take a backup shot. 
just in, yeah, just in case. Did they get that backup shot? And so we don't know. And that and it's so and I mean gratification. We usually do get the shot. Mm-hmm. Like you're usually going to get the shot. Did you get the shot? Usually, yeah. And yeah, so maybe not like perfect, but you got it. And it's and that's a, a wonderful bit of. If you're okay, if you're a digital photographer, did you get the shot? You look down at your camera and you see, and you have a pretty good idea whether you got it or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so there's no delay there at all. But mm-hmm. we don't have that, and that's there's a special beauty, and it's a pain in the ass too. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Digital photography can be a lot easier in this respect, but it has taught me about you know not not needing that gratification right away, and it's different because everybody says, oh, film photography makes me slow down. Yeah, of course. And I I guess I do call bullshit on that in a certain way. One, it doesn't because you can shoot film very quickly if you wanted to. And two- If you wanted to, but it is a process. If if you're really, if you've only shot film, then you you would know if it slowed you down. No, but you can slow down with digital. We can slow down with anything. Yeah. Or even without a camera, just stop and, easier. and look around. I don't know. It's, if it's easier to slow down with film, I would say. Maybe, but I, I don't want to think about it in that way because I think that's a tired way of looking at I think it's a very unthoughtful way of looking at photography. Well, of course. I think it's just been said more. Everybody has heard it, yeah. has said it themselves. We can move on from from that. <laughs> Anytime you read the emulsive, you know, why do you shoot film? It's always, well, it slows me down. It makes yes. me slow down. It makes me appreciate things, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And yes, we get it. That's a given, I guess. But mm-hmm. this delayed gratification is a different thing than that. I would say so. And it's taught us to... Be patient. Be patient, I guess. But also yeah. to be gracious, which is, you know, the other form of gratification. <laughs> it, it, yeah. To... to be happy of the subjects that we've shot after the fact, and 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 regular and digital photography gives you that as well. You know, of course, when you're when you're home at the computer looking at the photographs you took on your vacation or when, at the last outing, you get that same feeling again after shooting, and that's that delayed gratification. And I and I love that. Absolutely, yeah. I don't want any like digital. I don't want like gargle sack to come out after me Gar- because gargle we're not talking. Yeah, that's my nickname for somebody. Okay. Well, gargle sack, just take a seat. Well, so yeah, I just, well, I'm just, as far as like, because we don't talk about digital, it's only for film, but I'm like, well, yeah, there's plenty of digital podcasts out there, I'm sure, but sure. this can be for both. Yeah, I, think, I think most of these can be for both. Just giving yourself more time to just maybe sit in the moment and just be part of it instead of just this like instant because everything is instant. Yeah, I everything think he... t- takes seconds now. Mm-hmm. So we're so used to that. It's it's weird to do anything other than that. Yeah, I think giving yourself that time is really important. A really great example, actually. Um, I have a new neighbor, and she is a digital photographer. Mm-hmm. She's taking a break right now, but she was like full on, like doing the portraits under oh, wow. the pier okay. and the whole bit, yeah. which is great. Yeah. She came over. I took her portrait. 
I took her <laughs> in wet plate. And as soon as she got here, she's like, oh, like you need to do this. You need to do that. And I was like, my lens doesn't have a shutter. <laughs> it's wide <laughs> open. This is how it's going to be shot. She's like, oh, you could do this and you could do that. And if you wanted to do that, you could do this. And I'm just like, I could do all those things. I know that, but that's, but then why, why shoot with this old camera? Yeah. You know, like it was really hard for her to understand why I wanted to make it so difficult yeah. And I was like, because it's not really even about the photograph. It's about the whole process. It's a difference between, as far as hobbies go, buying a car, buying a little toy car, or making a model yourself. Yes. There's no reason to make a model yourself. if um, It's the process. Yes, it if is. You, if you just wanted the end product, you could just go buy like a model. Of course. Or pay someone to put it together. You know, I kind of wanted to do that. You know, those those old like universal monster models from like the 50s and 60s. I want mm -hmm. one so bad, like Frankenstein <laughs> or the Wolfman. But I, I have no skill whatsoever putting those things together. And it would just look like a fucking abomination. So I, I want one so bad though. <laughs> okay, so there we go. Dele delayed gratification. I'll have to practice that. If I ever get one of those, I will be uh, gratified in a very delayed sense. This is a childhood thing. Oh, we'll be moving on from. So one of the other things, and I think you came up with this, the, to appreciate and to judge light in ways yes. that normal, regular human beings don't really do. Even when we don't have our cameras and it golden light happens, we if you're a photographer, you're like, oh my God, the golden light's really good right now. Like you just, you just appreciate light in a different way. And I'm not saying that non-photographers don't appreciate light. Of course they do. Oh my God, it's beautiful sunset or la la la. But we definitely see light in a different way. And I absolutely love it when I'm with other photographers and they're the ones saying it because then I can kind of snicker to myself like, haha. It's funny. <laughs> well, it's fun to be around non-photographers too. And then they notice the light and they see something in your eyes. Mm -hmm. Like, and they see, if you have a camera with you, especially, they see you shooting this and like, and, and that kind of clicks on them. Like, oh, you can do something with this. It's not just something that can mm -hmm. be appreciated. Yeah. Though, there is something to the people who aren't photographers who really can take that in and appreciate light. Mm -hmm. There's, it always comes up, and I'm so conflicted about even telling this story. Uh, my uncle, my uncle Fred, when I was yeah. growing up, he, my whole family, very, very devout Christians, very like evangelical, Baptist, Presbyterian that kind of thing. Yes, not a very fun way to grow up. But one thing I always appreciated about my uncle Fred was that he would notice beauty. He would be in the woods and he would notice a beautiful tree or the sun shining through the branches or the, a field. And he would always, he'd always say like, oh God made this beautiful thing. Of course. Because of course, yes. but there was still that appreciation. He tied it to God, that was, God was his hobby or something. But there was still that appreciation that he wasn't a photographer. He had no like mechanical reason or mechanical isn't the right word, but no reason to really appreciate that for some other means and some other mm -hmm. some other end even well just the beauty of it just i mean i've definitely been places because I, I i don't believe in god but i have been places and i'm like this is god's country <laughs> <laughs> 
well, Montana is called God's country. Yeah, exactly. There are some places where you're just like, wow, this is stunning. Yeah. And those places can be appreciated by everybody. But I think, I think with photography, it does give you a chance to expand on that appreciation that's already there. You know, we look at it and that's one of the things that maybe differentiates us from the animals. I don't know what animals are thinking, but maybe one of the things is, is appreciating that beauty. I definitely have been the mom with a camera and have missed the moments because I was capturing it instead of enjoying the sunset or enjoying the moment. So maybe non-photographers get to kind of like be in a scene and embrace it in a different way that we are because we are fiddling around with um, ISO and film and all sorts yeah. of fun stuff. So <laughs> that's absolutely true. We, we do appreciate the light, but we do often miss it. Mm-hmm. Like missing an eclipse or something because we're trying to photograph it. We yep. didn't see the, I mean, I did, I, I, I didn't photograph it, but others did and they missed it. They have it on film and that's wonderful but you also missed out on something. So there is, I, I think maybe there's too, I don't know if it's too much appreciation or maybe the, the other side of the coin to appreciating light is you, you do end up missing it because seeing it upside down through ground glass or through a viewfinder isn't the same as seeing it with your eyes. And I think we need to be able to do both. Balance, balance in life and balance in everything. You know, you can't have ice cream for breakfast every day and just Wait. maybe two or three times. Okay. I could, I could deal with breakfast, breakfast ice cream three times a week. Yeah. Yeah. Three or four. Insert good segue here. The next one would be seeing everything as a composition. And that's one of the things that is, it's one of those, that's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time for the same reason as judging light. Some people can just be able to be super focused on on one thing. I can, but it's more of like a hyper focus, I would say, because of my, you know, attention issues. Yeah. So I need something to focus on. So um, photography allows me to kind of be able to focus into comp- compositions and in moments in a way that I can appreciate it for myself. Yeah. I think it's, I think it, the way that I appreciate things is going to be a little different than you are, that, sure. that, than you do or anybody else, of course, but that's okay. And I'm glad, like, I, I am so thankful that I have photography to, to thank for that. What really opened it up a lot for me was when I was really surfing every single day. And I was just like, I, want to photograph this. This is part of my life. This is what I want to photograph. And I didn't want to Surfer Magazine photograph it. I wanted to just photograph what it felt like, like how it feels to be in the water there at that very moment. And so your compositions are going to be different than other surf photographers' compositions. Absolutely. Because there's, you're you're seeing, you're seeing different compositions in your life than other people are. Yes. Yeah. Did you, did you ever just like look at just random shit on your desk, but have to move your head just a tiny bit more so the composition would be better? I do it all the no. time. It's everything I do, I look at it and I was like, oh, no, I don't want to look at that. Oh, I moved my head like a few inches to the right. There we go. Much better composition. No, I just have to move things and then I get distracted okay. and then I stand up and put something away and then I forget what I was doing. <laughs> I remember when I first started getting into photography and it was digital, I shot digital for a little bit, mostly mm-hmm. just like point and shoots, to be honest. 
Mm-hmm. I would recognize composition so much easier with that. And I don't know what happened. I lost a little bit. Hmm. I don't know if I got too in my own head or what, but when I was shooting very much just quick, you know, I would notice these compositions. Were you using a viewfinder or using back of the screen? How how are you looking? Probably the screen. Interesting. Um, so maybe that's why I took to large format because it is, you know, it is a big screen on the back of a camera. Mm-hmm. It's not that much different. <laughs> Also, I was, my mom gave me her camera, like I've said, like a million times. The lens I liked the most was the 50. Okay. I shot with the 50 a lot. And yeah. that's not, and most most of my friends, they had like a wider angle lens on their on their cameras well, in I, high school, you know, like would, 35 or whatever. I was using a, uh, a point and shoot, so I had a zoom. Oh, cool. So I was composing yeah. in camera. And I, I love the idea of zoom. I love zoom lenses. Like when I was shooting the the Pan F, the half frame SLR, I had a zoom lens on it and I was composing diptychs in camera. Oh, interesting. Yeah, A zoom lens on the Pan F. Yeah. What lens was on it? It was some like, I I honestly think it was a Kmart lens. Like like focal, I think was what they were called. I'm like a hundred percent sure it was, it was a Kmart lens. It had like a little adapter too. It wasn't a native lens. It had had the the adapter. I think it was like a Canon, Canon mount lens or something. But Amazing. It was, it was really interesting to compose that way, and it's mm-hmm. something that I I don't know of a way to do that other than a zoom lens. Mm-hmm. You know, you otherwise you'd have to like get up and move, <laughs> which as you're doing four by five, a lot more difficult. Yeah. So, seeing everything as a composition with four by five, you really have to fucking work at it. You know, you end up setting your camera down and walking a lot oh, to yeah. get the right shot. And I, I don't know if this is, uh, well, it is, yeah, photography changed that. I Even if I appreciated the composition and the beauty of places, I probably wouldn't walk around to find the best view. Have you ever done that weird composition thing that like, I don't know, is that just like a thing that's that- a, that's, a, that's a trope, but I will say I do have an app now that I use that mimics your film size and your lens. Really? Yeah. So if you're shooting four by five and a 270 millimeter lens, it will show you the square or the, I guess the rectangle really that you look through that, that, that you'll be seeing through the lens. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah. And I checked it. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, instead of setting up the camera somewhere and realizing it's not the shot, I guess that's a good. Yes. And I use that a lot. I used it a lot when I shot the nuclear power plant. I was walking around with my camera, just like out, like looking like I was filming everything. Oh, you know what? Also, those compositions were slightly different they were than different. you're used to. Obviously, you were doing it on purpose because yeah. you were trying to shoot like them. But also, I did notice that your compositions were slightly different. Yeah, from from what I would normally do. Yeah, I shot like two photos based on the be- the Beckers, Beshers, Beshers, but the rest of them were were new composition ideas that I partly gleaned from this app. Well, the app is called the Magic Magic Viewfinder, Magic Film Viewfinder Free. Not, it's a very clunky name, but it is a good app and it is free and it does everything you need it to do. Uh, basically, in the free version, there are ads and you can pay for it to re- to release yourself of those ads. And I think it gives you a few more features. I nice. really like it. It's something that I had talked about before, like like noting like on my camera the different levels of zoom to to match mm-hmm. the different lenses. But this does more than that, as it gives you. The, the film plane size. You can do everything from, I think, 110 all the way up to 
I think it goes up to like the, the large, large formats. So really, yeah. that's so neat. It's really cool. It's very helpful. So now you can absolutely and, and actually see everything as a composition while looking at your phone. You can do <laughs> two of your favorite things at once. Yes, you can. So moving on to still more things that are outdoors, weather. Photography has taught me so much more about weather and yes. to, and what I like and dislike. And I think we, or at least me, we see weather very differently than a lot of people. Like, oh yeah, like absolutely. The, oh, it's a beautiful day. Not a cloud in the sky means I stay home. I know it sounds weird, but it's either like muggy kind of like, <laughs> like it looks just dirty or we have clear skies. And then of course, occasionally when storms come in, we get like good clouds, but it's, it's just not as often. And when I travel, I get so excited when I see like beautiful, like cloudy, stormy, um, angry skies. Cause it's just so dramatic and beautiful. Of course, a clear sky is wonderful if you're trying to barbecue, but if you're trying to photograph, you want, you don't, you kind of want some flavor, you know? <laughs> you want some clouds, but you also then, you know, if you're traveling and you, and if you get a clear sky, like this past year, I had a lot of clear skies and a lot of really angry skies, nothing really in between. Hmm. And so I had to learn how to deal with clear sky. And that is uh, keep your horizon very high. There you go. And red filter or yellow filter the shit out of it. Yeah, everything. or you can use a gradient uh, neutral density filter. Oh yeah, those are fun. I use yeah. I use that a lot uh, when shooting uh, clear skies and X-ray because mm -hmm. you can't use a yellow filter on X-ray because it would negate it. You learn ways to to manipulate the look of weather in your photos. Like there are some there are some photos where I shot of of heavy clouds that look like intense intense thunder rainstorms that like oh my god are you even safe while taking this picture? But they were just like you know regular clouds. But if you if you underexpose the clouds a little bit, they look a lot darker and they look a lot angrier. And mm -hmm. you can add a little bit of drama to your photos rather than a little bit of drama to your life. Well, so this one hits home because I wrote this one down. It helps with social anxiety. So I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that suffers from this. Uh, also, the high school party I just had, I was busy photographing the whole time. I didn't have to talk to anybody <laughs> that if I didn't want to. It was great. It was exactly what I wanted to do. Photography has always been the out for me to be able to keep me comfortable in like strange places and weird places. I've always been able to pick up a camera and instantly feel like I had something to do with my hands. And I didn't, and I wasn't like one of those, like, I don't know what to do with my hands anymore. And I'm being a weirdo. I have a camera in my hands. I could take pictures. I could look busy and not look super awkward all the time. And that has been absolutely wonderful for me <laughs> to this day. Like even when I go to a show, which it's, it's been a while, I still take like the, sh like a really shitty, like compact camera or something because it's just part of my experience. I have to bring something with me. I have to have that. It's almost like my pacifier. <laughs> <laughs> it's my chupete. Chupete is going to ask you what, what the, what the Spanish for pacifier. Yeah. I think it's had the opposite effect on me. Hmm. And I think this is one way that photography changed everything and, and maybe not in a good way. 
when I was doing punk shows and playing in bands, I had no social anxiety whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And since leaving that, and maybe that's the reason why, but since leaving that and kind of focusing more on photography, I, I do have social anxiety now. Um, I know we've did a whole episode on imposter syndrome and I'm not a big fan of that term as that applies to me. If it applies to you, awesome, use it. But as it applies to me, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't feel like I'm not necessarily, I'm, I don't feel like I'm gonna be found out to not be good enough. I just think flat out that like I, I'm, I don't measure up. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm meeting photographers who are a little more on the wealthy end, they live in certain parts of town that uh, are, are definitely better than where I live, there is a little bit of that social anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. photography is a privilege in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And especially film right now, especially film right now. And I realize, yeah, I shoot four by five and I'm definitely more privileged than a lot of people. And I, you know, try to keep that in mind as much as I can, but I am still on a you know, fairly low income bracket. I live in a fairly sketchy part of town. So when I meet other photographers who who aren't that, I do get a little bit of anxiety. Whereas in the punk mm-hmm. scene, everybody was living here. <laughs> so well, yeah, well, everybody, that, that wasn't something that was, I would say judged. I think if you were had money in the punk scene, then you would be judged for that. I think, yeah, I think it'd probably be a little <laughs> the opposite. And it's probably why I felt that way. And so yeah. when I do meet up with other photographers, I always feel that my my social status is a little less than theirs. Oh. And that, and because of that, my photography is a little less than theirs. Ugh, yeah. I hate that. It, it, I hate it's that weird, you know, I, 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 like, oh, you're doing, uh, you're doing a really nice zine or something, a really nice book. Oh, I've got these shitty zines, you know? Or, oh, you're taking some really nice photos and I've got these shitty photos. Oh my gosh, that's so terrible. It, it hey. is, and I know it's not true necessarily. Yeah. It is a thing. I'm sorry. It is a thing. Of course. It's very easy to compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. And I don't think I would have that in the same way if it weren't for photography. I think photography is worth it. I'm not going to give up photography because I get weird around people. Fuck. That would just be bizarre. You're pretty weird though. I am. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I am going to try to meet up with more people on my next travels, you know? I think you should. Um, And hopefully... I will be both wealthier and a better photographer. Than <laughs> That's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, one can hope, I guess. It's <laughs> oh fucking awful. I'll leave it in, but it's fucking awful. I don't actually think that way. I think it's great that photography has really helped you with that. And I've, I know you've talked to me about when you went out shooting with people and you really do seem like at home with other photographers. And I really envy that. I think it's really wonderful. There are a few photographers that I've shot with and and I do feel pretty at home with them, you being one of them. But generally speaking, I feel very out of place. Well, so I think I feel out of place in my real life, I guess, or my normal life. I don't really have anybody to talk to about the things that I like. Yeah. I don't, there's nobody, There's there wasn't really anybody in my close circle that I felt I was getting any sort of like support from and not necessarily I was asking for it. I just felt like I was talking a different language. Yeah. So once I started to kind of put myself, immerse myself more into the community and reach out and I have 
my photo nerd friends now and we get to just talk about nerdy photo stuff all the time. It's kind of amazing and perfect. And people's eyes aren't like glazing over anymore when I'm talking to them. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, as far as comparing yourself, I mean, I'm doing the same thing. We're all doing a little bit of that and it's, it's hard not to, but I think it is really important to do things that make you feel comfortable. And if, and for me, it's bringing a camera everywhere I go. Well, and that brings us to our our next one, which is one that I came up with on my own, on my very own. It, <gasps> oh. it really, I think it probably goes for you too, but it makes me really appreciate solitude because yes. of where I shoot. Now, if you're a street photographer, this would be, maybe that wouldn't be applicable. But for me, I do shoot in the middle of nowhere. If there's people like within any view of me, it's rare. I, I don't just not shoot people. I can't shoot people where I go because there aren't people there. And mm-hmm. when I was more of a social butterfly, being alone was very difficult for me. I loved having people around because you didn't have to deal with your own shit when you had other people around. Mm-hmm. But with photography, it really is a solitary hobby. Even if you're in like a photo walk with a bunch of people, you, you're only one person can shoot a camera at a time. I mean, basically, you can collaborate, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, you're alone when shooting. <laughs> like in death, you're alone when photographing. You know, I'm, I'm still thinking of the what you said social butterfly thing. And I'm, I'm thinking you're the like Robert Klein of butterflies. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's the butterfly in the last unicorn. It's uh-huh. the singing one. I'm more of the Robert <laughs> Smith of butterflies. Or wasn't Robert Smith Mothra on South Park? Oh, I think was he, he was. Yeah, I think he was. Nice. <laughs> so I actually am going to backtrack a tiny bit on this solitude thing with the social anxiety, because I'm going to go back to it. The problem that I have is that when I'm in a group of people, I feel alone. And I'm, and I have, learn to appreciate that solitude and it's part it's kind of been there my whole life i think that i've always just felt not connected in a like normal way (laughs) so i'm just used to it so that solitude is is with me whether i'm in a crowded room or if i'm in the middle of the desert by myself it's no different? No difference. Weird. Okay. Um, also, I wanted to mention, I was walking around downtown with Alan, and I was explaining that it was like on, I was on Broadway, and I was like, oh, dude, there was this like one moment, and I felt like I was alone with the birds. And it was a busy, like, tr- high traffic area, but I was looking up and leaning against the wall of a building. And I was watching these birds circle the intersection and dance around. And I just blocked everything out and watched it. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And yeah, maybe there was someone shitting on the sidewalk next to me. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. But it didn't matter. I was alone (laughs) in that moment. When you come to watch your stuff. Funny smell. (laughs) So, which brings us to our final 
our final way of how photography changes everything. And that it has, and we can say this together, I guess, it has taught us how to collaborate. You didn't say it with me. Vanya. And listen. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think it has Stop taught us to collaborate. And collaborate and listen. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <sighs> I really hate you sometimes. I know. <laughs> I know. It's the best. <laughs> So it had taught me to collaborate with people like Vanya, but I think I'm going to be just <laughs> denying all of those those teachings. Oh my god! But it has. Uh, bullshit, because like you have, I have, I have given you many many tools <laughs> from my from my tool belt, okay. and you've embraced them in your own way, and you've you've used things, and you've even had me be more mindful of things I didn't even really realize I was doing until you told me. And that wouldn't have happened if we didn't collaborate. This podcast wouldn't have happened no. if we, you know, were, if I didn't send you the message, like, are you sure you're not going to murder me? <laughs> I, I said I was sure. I, I guess I was lying. Kind of. But I think, I mean, we've, we've both collaborated before photography, and outside mm -hmm. of photography, I was in bands. You were in a band. Mm -hmm. We have social circles and friends and all of that. You know, we do collaborate. But I think collaborating with photography is a little different because yeah. it is such a solitary thing. Whether you're in a yes. crowd being solitary or whether you're in the middle of fucking nowhere being solitary, you're still mm -hmm. alone. And yes. so when you're photographed with somebody, you generally have two cameras. Yes. Because you're just two people. At mm -hmm. least two cameras. But when you can... Definitely two opinions, that's for sure. Definitely two opinions. But when, when you can still figure out ways to collaborate on that, and like on, on, like, like on how we do the podcast, I think the collaboration with photography, like with Weston and Mather, it's a very different and very difficult thing to do. And in the case mm -hmm. of, of Weston and Mather, you know, one destroyed the other. Mm -hmm. I think it was, I wish I had this in front of me. Billy Justema, one of one of Mather's friends, said that you know he he wished some, something to the effect that he wished that that Weston would understand um, how Mather made him who he was, but in making him who he was, she destroyed herself. Yeah, and that's that's bad collaboration. <laughs> that's well, that's kind of how I feel about myself right now. Just kidding. I don't think that's <sighs> true, is it? No, I'm just kidding. I think you need to find something healthy. I guess we, we should say it's taught us to be healthy collaborators and to give so. and to take. Definitely, I've been taking lately, but also I've been having a hard time. Yeah, I don't He's, think You've been picking up the slack for me recently, which I appreciate. And, you know, obviously Eric's not just a collaborator where, like, we're really, really, really good friends, of course, yeah. too. I mean, it's been three years now. Well, it's been over three years since we've been doing the podcast. So there we are. Photography changes everything. And yes. I'm sure there's lots and lots of things that we're missing or not not uh, talking about. But, you know, that's fine. Figure out for yourselves how photography has changed everything in your life. And if it hasn't, figure out why it hasn't. It's a perfect time during the holidays to sit back and relax and look back on your year and appreciate all the things that you did or what photography brought to you this year, besides debt, I hope. Yeah, probably debt. 
All Through a Lens is made possible by our generous and amazing Patreon subscribers. Through their small monthly donations, we're able to afford to keep the podcast running. Patreon helps us cover expenses for hosting, for audio equipment. It helps us buy books. I, I'm reading it like you you read it, and it's it's I know it's weird. <laughs> It helps us buy books for research and zines for us to review. And we will be reviewing a slew of zines next season. We've got a stack and we're excited as hell about that. Yeah, maybe we should do some like during dev party too for funsies. It's not a bad idea. To our Patreon subscribers, thank you. We couldn't make this podcast without you. When you subscribe to us on Patreon, you get monthly bonus episodes, full-length interviews some random posts and photos, and much more extra nonsense, of course. Now, we've got three different levels of support. It's $3 a month, $5 a month, and $10 a month, and each of them gives you different bonuses. I've been doing a lot of extracurricular reading, kind of bonus material for the episodes. I read two different long things on Margaret Mather, and uh, they are available to all Patreon subscribers from the $3 level to the $10 level. When you uh, want the bonus episodes and the full-length interviews, that's when it's going to cost you a little But all of the support is needed, and we really do appreciate it. So head over to patreon.com slash lens for more info. Well, Vanya, we've come to not just the end of another episode, but the end of a year. I think we'll probably have another dev party before the year is out. But as far as the main episodes go, so. this is it. This is it yeah. for 2022. Mm-hmm. So long. <laughs> so long. It has been a year. It's been a wild ride, baby. It, it has been. What do you've got coming up over the break? Remember, we are taking a break till sometime in the end of January. Yes. What do you've, what do you've, you've got something going on. I do. So I'm actually traveling to Santa Cruz to do some super fun uh, Super 8 filming with my Eumagnotica and also bringing the Pentex with the water housing. I am in search of some 220. So if anybody knows of any 220 that I could purchase, I would love to trade or buy some because I'm going to need it for this project. Definitely. I'm also turning 40 and I am hopefully going back up north and spending some very good quality time with the rain and the redwoods and my best friends. That sounds really great, actually. Kind of the best month ever. I'm yeah. really excited. Yeah, Usually January is a tough month to get through, but yours sounds way more eventful than most people's. <laughs> As long as I don't get eaten by a shark, I should be good. I'm supposed to go get a shark tattoo as my, like, talisman. So I should probably go do that before I go. Don't you already have a shark tattoo? I forgot I do have one. She, she's checking to make sure. It's a, it's a shark mouth that says surfer's grave. Okay. So maybe not the best talisman. But, you no. know. It's okay. So is that everything? For now, I think that's everything. I will probably do some close friend stories while I'm freezing in Santa Cruz because I'll be sleeping in my van <laughs> yeah. trying to figure that out. Um, we do close friends stories on Instagram for our Patreon subscribers. And that's Patreons at any level. Yes. Yeah. So I'll probably do a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. Just kind of mess around and yeah. say hi to everybody and see how everybody's doing. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's it. How about, how about you? What, 
what's in the books for January? Well, uh, not a lot. I will be probably photographing something somewhere. I do not know what. I don't Ooh. even know if, to be honest. Hmm. I will be developing all of, well, not all of my film, but a lot of the film for the zines, hopefully, hopefully all of it for the zines that we talked about at the top of the show. But also I want to be, since I don't have to actively think about a specific episode, I want to start thinking about episodes more broadly. And like, what do we want to do for the next part of the, of the season, the new year? Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about interviews and I, I love the interviews that we do. They're, they're so much different from, from a lot of other podcast interviews, not just photography podcasts, just podcast interviews in general. And I, I like the way that we do it, but I want to, I want to focus more on what inspires people and what makes them happy that they're photographers and what gets them up in the morning to go shoot, you know, What's the drive? It, not not gear. We don't we don't do gear talk really, but not really anything surrounding that. But what mm -hmm. inspired them to put this down on on film? You know what happened in their life? What what uh, what tools have they gained from their life to to give them these these skills and that inspiration? I keep saying inspiration a lot. But that's what I want to really focus on, you know? I want people to walk away from our interviews after listening to them, feeling like not just that they want to go photograph, but that they can. And that gives them a new idea and a new, not like a new idea of like a format or a new camera or a new lens or something, but a new idea on like how they can apply photography to their lives. Like I didn't think about photographing something in this way, or I didn't think about photography in this way. And I want to inspire people in that way. And so over the break, I'm going to be trying to figure that out. And if um, we have any people who, who have ideas in that, in that realm or tips or whatever, drop me a line. So that's me. I'll be baking applesauce cake as well. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, because that's you know what I do. I was very lucky and I got to see Liz for a very short, tiny, short period of time. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have spent like an entire month with her because she's amazing uh, one of the first things I noticed is that she has a workspace basically in every single room in her house. And she ha kept a journal where she wrote like her ideas and things. And it was so neat to see just to be immersed in, in all things Liz for like the very <laughs> short period of time that I yeah. did. And she probably doesn't think that that's special, but I do because that's not my everyday. And, um, part of this like this project I'm doing I'm live I'm going to be like staying with these two artists and kind of like following them around for a week and experiencing life with them and I think a lot of that opens up and just like how you told me things about myself and my photography <laughs> that I didn't really realize I was doing. It's kind of the same thing. You know, people's, the, the way people are inspired, um, they might not even know. They Yeah. But the people around them probably do. Also, I think it would help people feel less alone because while we don't, people sometimes say there's no original ideas and there's some truth to that. But sometimes it's okay to realize that like, well, this idea I have, I don't know if it'll work. 
but you get a little bit of inspiration in that direction from somebody. And it may not be the same idea, and hopefully it's not exactly the same idea, but it's enough to make you convinced that you could pull this off. And that's what I want. I don't want like, we don't interview famous photographers. We kind of as a rule, but I'm, we just don't because it really does seem untouchable. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have several grand to drop to have a gallery show. You know, mm-hmm. we don't we don't have several grand to drop on a camera necessarily. You know, but in interviewing kind of the normal working class photographers who are you know, like the photographers we've already interviewed, really, but maybe digging a little deeper and getting a little mm-hmm. more involved. Now we're always told that that we have good questions, and that honestly, there's very few higher compliments than somebody saying that you have a good question. No, it is. It actually is. So I guess that's everything. We will see you at the next Dev Party, which is in a week from today, which is, uh, I guess, the time between Christmas and New Year, which the Germans call, I think they call it like the in-between years, Hmm, which is very similar to a Hobbit calendar where there are are dates that they don't fall in any month or in any year. They're kind of in between. And I love that because nobody's supposed to do anything in that time. I like that idea. Mm. Unfortunately, that's not reality. But what is reality is that we've come to the end of another episode. Vanya, is there anything else you have to say? Thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. We're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. You can also check out our show notes and photographs on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff. Hashtag allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. Find us on Spotify or any podcast app. Subscribe and leave us a review. And thank you all so much for listening throughout the entire year. We really appreciate you. Have yourselves a merry little holidays. Remember, we love you. Um, Vanya. Yes. Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. I was gonna. I think maybe piggyback, pig, piggyback riding on on that one. No. Okay. Just you go. You can do it. Are you having a stroke? Yes, I think so.